Hello, and welcome back to Talking Tropes. We've had a bit of a hiatus, and uh, trick or trope, it's Halloween time. I'm Hannah. And I'm David, and uh, we're doing tricksters, because what's more Halloween-y than a tricky, tricky trickster guy? (laughs) Um, Tricksters are a part of our, our culture, a part of maybe all cultures, a part of storytelling uh, that goes back as far as anyone has recorded. Uh, it's a Jungian archetype, which, uh, you know, Carl Jung was a, a psychoanalyst who basically felt that there are certain, there's a certain collective unconscious uh, unconsciousness that we all sort of share these uh, primordial functions in our brain, the self, the ego, and then other things branching off of that that we perceive that maybe or maybe not based on actual physical structures in the brain, but that we all sort of collectively imagine. And uh, there is an imagination uh, of the trickster. I think that's that's pretty inarguable in, in the global media culture we have today. Um, so we just thought we'd trace a little bit of that and talk about the modern the modern trickster versus the uh, the trickster of antiquity. Um, so, Hannah, where would you like to start on that journey, that monomyth, that <laughs> hero's journey? Um, I mean, I feel like we got to start with with uh, for starting with gods. We got to start with Loki. You know. <laughs> yeah the the trickster god uh, is is something that also has always been around. Um, and I think maybe like a question we can use to kind of frame some of the discussion is, um, are tricksters good? Are they bad? Are they neutral? What is their alignment? I mean, I think there are as many alignments as there are grains of sand, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like... I don't, right. I don't, I, I don't know if that's the most useful, um, breakdown, I guess, of like good right, versus we'll bad. No, no, no. I, we'll I like talking about it. I think, <laughs> sorry. I'll cut not, it all out. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I tricked you. No. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that, you know, classifying good versus bad on like a moral spectrum doesn't really like tell us a lot you know because it's like basing off of 21st century morality you know and so it's like if they push someone down they're kind of bad you know like (laughs) (laughs) right well i mean i guess you could say that like a trickster is is there a trickster tricks somebody Mm -hmm. which implies that there are rules Mm -hmm. to in to a form of engagement yeah and a trickster flouts those rules or uses them to his or her own advantage Mm -hmm. uh which is a way of teaching moral lessons to people which you could argue is what all stories are about so the trickster can be bad and we learn to be not like the trickster or the trickster can be good and we learn to use the cunning of the trickster uh for our own you know, or to help others or, right. or something. So with a trickster god, uh, you know, some of the oldest versions of that are the the gods or demigods who steal something from the gods to give to humans. Mm-hmm. So Anansi the spider uh, steals the language of the gods in order to, you know, give humans the power of speech. Right. And, uh, and... Um, um, Maui oh, yes. steals the fire of the gods uh, to give humans fire, <laughs> which is also what Prometheus does. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, like, right. So I think for me, there's definitely, I notice a lot of, I want to say anti-authoritarian, <laughs> like, traits sometimes to, to these trickster characters, you know, where mm-hmm. they notice... Um, like some kind of unfairness based on the current structure of the world, structure of power, um, and they want to mess with that. And I think wanting to mess with with that um, authority leads to 
some of the trickiness because it's not always easy <laughs> to directly challenge power, David. It's hard. <laughs> right. But I think at the same time, I, I think tricksters have this um, have this tendency to fool petty humans mm. because they are so much above us. And if your morality is centered on a pantheon of the gods, which must be worshipped, they represent more threats. You know, a trickster is a threat to be avoided, mm-hmm. but not necessarily a problem to be questioned. So, you know, we can think of, um, well, I mean, let's start with Loki. Okay. Loki, who would often trick human beings by pretending to be not a god, and then turns out he is a god, and then pff, you're smited. <laughs> so gotcha. it's, you know, teaching you teaching you to treat all as gods because the trickster is multi multifacetous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, he has many faces. He can be, she, he transcends gender and, and species can be an animal. Right. You like know, the tricksters... transformative quality of trickster gods. Right. I think, okay, that's it. That's the word that I, I think I've been like searching for in my brain. And I think I just didn't land on it cause it was too obvious. Um, <laughs> because often tricksters are shapeshifters, and I think like that is that is often their function in the story is to be transformative in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is right. true for for gods, for um, you know devils and magical creatures, and you know even true for um, you know like animals. <laughs> Those are sort of our three. Right. Like stratus, strata, strati, I guess, that we're <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. grouping our tricksters into for this conversation. Right. And I think that Jung would say that that transformative quality is why the trickster is this archetype that occupies the space of the shadow or the other mm-hmm. uh, because it's unknowable. Mm-hmm. Inherently, you cannot know the trickster's true nature. You cannot define it in specific qualities, but which also makes the trickster a great uh, something to invest yourself in. You know, the trickster is neither male nor female, so the trickster represents all of humanity, mm-hmm. and that's why so many like patron, like the god of all of everything, the creator of all, is so often a trickster of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can think of, uh, you know, many uh, Hindu gods, Indra, um, and and also, you know, the, uh, the, the avatars of Hindu gods on Earth, like Krishna. Um, there are plenty of other <laughs> examples in I- I- Hindu mythology, but I'm not uh, nearly an expert in that. Yeah. Um, if you are, it's, it's, tweet you know, at us and tell big... us about your cool Hindu trickster gods. We'd love to know more. <laughs> Right. Well, I I guess like tr- tricksteriness is just uh you know it can be st- you know stealing some great power or withholding some great power, mm-hmm. and so I feel like in Campbell's Joseph Campbell's monomyth, it it's so very often the trickster is associated with the end of the story, the like the 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 meeting with the goddess and then the the claiming of the the great elixir mm-hmm. um, at the world navel, which you know he, for him it's like. It's the center of the earth, but it's like just a, an unmoving place that connects earth with the higher plane, whether that's heaven or, you know, the world of gods or, uh, you know, in the case of Loki, it's um, Valhalla, you mm-hmm. know, but and it's Yggdrasil that connects us to Valhalla. So, like, there's a place where you go and you climb something like a mountain or a tree, a tree stalk or a vine or a beanstalk. Or a beanstalk. Yeah. And you go and you steal something from the gods, some magic thing that they that they protect, and you bring it back down and you've become a man or a yeah. fully grown adult, you know, whatever the initiation myth. Uh, and that's, that's you know, that's Joseph Campbell. Campbell's, like, anthropological use of Jung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's often so in that case it's not necessarily like the god being the trickster themselves it's um you know like jack and the beanstalk it's it's right it's a normal human going and stealing from the gods yeah yeah sorry if if i'm kind of all over the place (laughs) but yeah like the trickster gods like it's usually like a tale about like zeus turned himself into a cow to have sex with a lady (laughs) 
or you know Dionysus, uh, you know tricks um, uh, what was his name King uh, Midas. King Midas into you know he wishes for his for a golden touch, but then he turns his uh, his beloved daughter into gold. No. Um, so it's a be careful what you wish for sort of scenario. Right, and I think you know going back to what what you were saying about like the shadow and the the outsider. That's kind of the um, like that's the function there, you know, of saying yeah. be careful what you wish for. It might be bad. And then, you know, right. there's the careful what you wish for, it might be good. <laughs> right. It, it's sort of... So, I mean, that might make our listeners think of jinns or genies. Yeah. Um, you know, sorcerers, conjurers, fairies, leprechauns, mm-hmm. all manner of mythical creatures, where the lesson is when you encounter the divine, the, the sublime, the, the beyond human experience, mm-hmm. watch your step <laughs> right so you know i i you know i have certain friends who um you know would describe that as like fey logic or fey puzzles sure. um and i have another friend who sort of <laughs> i guess subdubbed within the trickster uh canon the sneaky genie archetype <laughs> right where... think uh puck or pan right. mm-hmm. or um various other horned bedeviled beast men i mean um, that's that's sort of the whole point of the fey in sort of celtic like anglo-saxon like folklore is that uh-huh. you know they are these otherworldly mystical magical beings but like they don't get you by like zapping you with their powers they get you by you not knowing the rules of engagement and then saying aha now you're my slave forever or you know right presenting a a challenge but then flipping the script on you in some way um right that's but then there's always the you know stories of overcoming the fey and you know different cultures end up having different relationships with that great spooky other Mm -hmm. um and so we see in like germanic uh folk tales like uh that what eventually became rumpelstiltskin um you know that he is this guy who shows up and he's like hey (laughs) heard you needed some gold or else they're gonna chop off your head um (laughs) i'll give you the gold in exchange for you know something a lock of your hair or whatever and then he comes back and says actually now that you want more gold i gotta up the ante i'm gonna take your firstborn child uh but you know we gotta give you a give away out of it so if you guess my name then uh then then we're good and uh unfortunately she asks for three days to figure out his name because it could be anything because he's you know, a, a goblin of some kind, uh, a, a Rumpelstiltz, uh, which is a type of German goblin. There you go. Uh, so she, like, tracks him down, I guess. I guess he's just that easy to find. And he just spends all his time singing to himself, like, heedly deedly dee, I'm Rumpelstiltskin, heedly deedly dee. Um, and she's like, oh, I guess his name's Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> We love him. But he has a more modern interpretation, as does Loki. Um, so maybe we should talk about adaptation for television. Yeah. Uh, let's let's do it. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're we're talking about Loki, obviously featured heavily in many of the, the Marvel movies to date. Um, and right. as of now, has season one of a television show devoted to him and his trickstery ways. And like we said about, you know, Loki, does he inhabit a, you know, a transgression of rules? Or is does he reinforce godly rule as a warning to humans? Mm-hmm. You know, he is a trickster force to be overcome with essentially brute strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in the first Avengers movie. Um, right. And to some extent in uh, in in Thor, where yeah. you don't defeat him by talking to him and repairing your broken family relationship, your sort of Shakespearean dramatic like his seizing of the throne, like Edmund in uh, in what was that uh, King Lear? I don't know. It's been a long time since <laughs> I read King to... Lear. 
I, I'm not up to uh, up to my snuff on Shakespeare. Anyway, um, he's you know you defeat him by punching him in the face and then like smashy smashing the bridge, right? <laughs> and then he you know he falls, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then in Avengers he's defeated by punch punching him right yeah. in his his, his crowned sweet. head, right. And his his crown with the horns, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard or I've read that you know horned tricksters are are something of a common thing because it's animalistic mm-hmm. and it's masculine, mm-hmm. and so in it's... cultures where the trickster is a masculine force that like an oppressive fathery figure, then you have this you know the the horns are spooky, <laughs> and so you know you see that on everything from Loki to the devil. Uh, Pan to the devil, you know, Meph- uh, Mephistopheles, you know, <laughs> different demons of, of various kinds. Right. It's a thing. Horns. Spooky. It's a, it's a thing. And doesn't, um, I know in some conceptions of uh, Shakespeare, Puck is sometimes given horns as well. Like, it's sometimes yes. a fake. because Puck is based on Pan. Right. And Pan is one of these satyrs or, you know, whatever. Uh, right, horned, horned boys. There's like a, a a hedonisticness to the trickster as well, which I, I don't think we mentioned. Okay. I I do because you know they don't serve a higher authority than themselves, and sometimes they like you know Loki in the MCU. He wants to be that higher authority for a long time, um, but you know. His his goal there, like we see when he's taken over Asgard, all he's doing is like lounging around and putting on plays where like he's kind right, of a hero. Was in Thor Ragnarok. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I think at that point, that's when we see you know the limits of his duplicitousness. What does he do when he gets in power? Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, what do we do after he has you know essentially given up? using his tricksterness for selfish reasons and is using it instead for the betterment of his people, for, you know, giving it back to humanity, as it were. Um, A more when he noble tries to purpose. Kill, where he tries to kill Thanos, you know, and thereby snatch the power of the gods from the big god Fist Man. <laughs> um, so what, even though he is a god, he he is a lesser god in this Marvel universe. I think trickster gods tend to be sort of lesser gods. Like they're right. you know they're and and I think that's why they often have that um, that transformationness. They want to transform into the most powerful version. They want to transform into something that sure. can. Uh, make up they want to steal their... the elixir of immortality oh, and sure. either use it for themselves or bring it back to humanity, whatever the, the point is. Right. Um, I totally agree. Um, but the elixir of immortality can be good or bad, you know, depending <laughs> on whatever the whatever thing it is. Whatever they end up getting ends up ultimately being good, even if what they get is punishment. Uh, but, you know, they're getting something mm-hmm. out of the deal. <laughs> um. So that brings us to Loki the show, yes. the Disney Plus original series, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it markets itself as sort of a deconstruction of the trickster trope uh, or the trickster archetype. Mm-hmm. So is it? And let's talk about it and reach a conclusion. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we can get there. Um, I would. It's certainly a show that talks a lot about tricksters and what it means yeah, to Owen be a Wilson's trickster. Yeah, Owen Wilson's going on. He says, "You're you're a trickster. What am I supposed to do? This is impossible. I can't. I can't work with a trickster." Um, it's a pretty good. Owen he's gonna Wilson. trick me. Uh, but he, <laughs> but but you know, the you know, the, uh, one of the things is I guess that Loki, in a metafictional sense, cannot escape his tricksteriness that mm-hmm. even when he says i'm being totally honest with you right now i'm i'm so serious you guys mm-hmm. uh he, he can't escape his labeling as a trickster god you right. know because he's mythologically inclined to be a trickster right and and especially in the context of the show which is highly you know basically 
an authoritarian bureaucracy called the TVA is keeping right. the timeline on track, and anything that diverges from that timeline gets gets the axe. They get pruned. Right. So anything he does to trick that system is inherently transgressive, good, freedom, whatever, our values as Americans towards, like, informational freedom, mm-hmm. gaining access to secret files from the CIA or whatever. Mm-hmm. I really think the TVA is, like, so closely related to the CIA and that, therefore, the conclusion that they come to, that the CIA was ultimately necessary to keep communism at bay or whatever whatever threat, terrorist or otherwise, that that, uh, that threat of other forms of authoritarianism is, you know, secondary to the TVA. But that's my own spiel take on it. <laughs> but what of, what of Lady Loki? I'm switching topics. Sylvie, Sylvie. Let's talk about Sylvie. Um, right. She... Sylvie has shorter horns. Yeah. She's and one of them little... is cut off. But that's true of... So, of... Loki as well. That happens to him. Forget when, but it definitely happens to him. One of his horns gets cut In off. this show? Not in this show, but in the the movies somewhere. One of the horns gets yes. lopped off. Yeah. But he in this show is shown with full crown with little pokey horns most of the time. Yes. And so I think in in a pure imagery sense, mm-hmm. Sylvie is the castrated Loki. The you know the um, the distaff counterpart, the mm-hmm. the Minnie Mouse to his Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. in that she is secondary. Where he's Adam, she's Eve. Right. I mean, that's very much the case, and we can see that um, when Loki ends up meeting all of the, like many of the multiverse Lokis who uh, you know have been pruned before, where basically right. all of them are just guy versions of him you know whether they're young whether they're old whether they're black you know like they're just all dudes she's the only girl version of a loki of a trickster that we see right uh but i think you know the fact that he immediately falls in in love with her almost immediately yeah falls in love with this version of himself it speaks to you know Tales of incest in, you know, in mythology, you know, Oedipus, things like that. Um, Warnings about the dangers of, you know, going on your little quests and whatnot, of venturing out into the world. It's also a story of the dangers of embracing your own femininity, where Loki is an androgynous sort of character. In myth, Loki, in fact, gives birth to his steed, which is a a twelve-legged donkey or something. I don't know. It's it is but what it is. Birth. But the point is, he's always had an element of femininity to For him. Sure. He as a shapeshifter, he trans you know transitions between different genders at different times. But for the purpose of trickery. Um, which leads, you know, I don't know if there's a direct line in this. It may just simply be that transphobia evolves tangentially to, uh, to, to our mythology. But the idea of androgynous characters as tricksters mm-hmm. or characters that embody, you know, female and male forms as tricky. That fluidity is, is uh, scary. It's other, it's shadow. I think you're right. totally right. It's, uh, but I don't, you know. I don't want to just say, like, and that's why people are transphobic. <laughs> right, no. But I think, I think there's an element of our storytelling that, you know, trickster characters will dress in drag or behave, right. you know, femininely Which, in order to trick male characters. You know, I think that, that lilt towards the chaos of the universe is definitely where the tricksters go. Um, and I think that's why, you know, at least from my experience, um, many gender queer and trans people, like, you know, they love the idea of like, my gender is chaos, my gender is trickster, you know, and, and sort of sure. embrace these things um, that they have almost historically, mythologically been associated with. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, so, in the end, (laughs) in the end with the Sylvie Loki dynamic, the point is 
his split in his psyche, Mm -hmm. which is represented in this other character, this distaff character, he, he is obsessed or in love with his own femininity and his feminine side is terrified of his masculine super ego ego self and his ability to enact his own will and so the distrust sown eventually leads to murder and killing and the collapse of the system as it is so what how do we interpret this how do we interpret the finale of loki the show season one well so i'm I'm sort of trying to understand what you were just saying because i'm not sure if i agree i mean they're the same character you know like they're different but they inherently are multiple sides of the same character which is true of a lot of characters that don't share the same name origin and everything you know like holmes and watson are obviously two sides of the same coin as well you know they're a split part of and you know you know moriarty is like his shadow self his evil self whatever so this is not solely true of characters who share the same name appearance powers history but they do so they are they are one right one is man one is woman Mm -hmm. that's like the main difference and we can interpret their differences as interpretations of masculinity and femininity even if that's not the intention of the you know the writers of the show or the actors right it comes across as well the woman in the story is you know self-deterministic you know completely dedicated to the cause unquestioning but also distrustful and Mm -hmm. the masculine is wavering it's uh you know he's facile he switches sides readily and he he uh he's he's only out for himself and the people he cares about whatever right and you know it's always a question of like can he actually care for others like um and in the sort of the final confrontation scene whereas that's never a question for the female version of himself right um it's never a question whether she might be a narcissist (laughs) yeah the I really I do want to just very quickly talk about the the final confrontation scene where you know they literally just stare at each other and she's like why can't we agree and he's like because you you can't trust and I can't be trusted ah. and like you know I feel like I feel like <laughs> right. you know there's your thesis man statement. versus woman in yeah. a nutshell question mark question mark yeah it's a it's a it's a messy ending mm-hmm. um. But does it deconstruct the idea of a trickster and the idea of a gendered or androgynous or bi-gendered trickster uh, in any way? I mean, I don't feel like it It necessarily... <laughs> if there's an interrogation on gender happening, I think it's happening unintentionally. I don't think the show... But that's not my point. Okay. My point is, is it happening? I mean, do you have? Do you think? Like, I think I think something's happening. I I don't know if I quite have like a you know a neat little interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think the idea is if we have these these trickster gods and they're going up to the the you know the top of uh, the top of Yggdrasil to confront the Grand All Father and steal what is essentially, you know, the immortal elixir of freedom mm-hmm. and also the idea of infinite realities, which means infinite life, which means, you know, uh, immortality. Mm-hmm. They're going to steal that from this guy. And then the one guy says, wait, let's not do that. Is he... And he's being totally honest about it, mm-hmm. you know? He's not lying about it. But he cannot shed his identity as a trickster. Is the idea that we must interrogate our trickster myths and say are they really tricksters <laughs> or are they just being told that they are you know mm-hmm. is there such a thing as a trickster and that's the deconstruction right the gendered part is the female version of him is more him than he is <laughs> because she is unwilling to trust she's out for herself she has 
She has, you know, clear motivation. She's not questioning her tricksterness. Mm -hmm. And she tricks the guy into letting her into the house and then kills him. Doesn't fall for whatever his manipulation is. Mm -hmm. So... I think it's I think it's implying a sort of transition for Loki from masculine to feminine and a transition of his tricksterness from masculine to feminine. Whatever that means for the narrative, I guess we'll find out more in season two. Right. So it's not clean. It's messy. But yeah. I, there's something going on there because, because tricksters so often transcend gender. Right. You know? Right. And... To what end, I ask. To what end? <laughs> to the end of the timeline, David. The end of the timeline. Um, to the end of the timeline! <laughs> should, uh, should we talk about them devils a little bit? Uh, Rumpel's right, still so, boy? Right, so... This is this is true of the end of Loki as well. You know, when you confront the big bad at the end, mm-hmm. what he says is, I got a proposition for you. <laughs> I got a deal. Let's make a deal, all right? Um, he doesn't talk like that. But, uh, you know, who does talk like that? Hades and Hercules, mm. another, you know, trickster god, if ever there was one. Although in Greek mythology, it was more often Hermes who was seen as the trickster, mm-hmm. the mischievous little imp guy. Uh, he could run fast, and he was a messenger, and he would provide aid to heroes in a in a form that was uh, sort of tricky, like he would give you riddles and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, Hades in Hercules, Mephisto in Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. Mephistopheles in, in uh, Faust. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we got? <laughs> devils. <laughs> um, the devils in the details, I say. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, like, where where are we putting Bill Cipher on this list? Like, is he a trickster He's a devil. God? I mean, he's an extra-dimensional being that loves chaos. Right. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the ways in which, you know, these can be heroic and good tricksters. Mm-hmm. You know, aligned good but what about the characters that are simply aligned chaotic? And <laughs> right. that chaos can be good, bad, or evil. Right. You know, we've uh, got Q from Star Trek. Uh, the the Joker, you know. like Right. But wh- wh- whereas, like, Q and Bill Cipher from Gravity Falls and Hades and Me- Mephistopheles and his Marvel interpretation of Mephisto, they have infinite power. Mm-hmm. They can control all of reality. But... They bound themselves and the universe to certain rules. And those rules are codified in deals. And those deals become, you know, deals selling your soul to the devil, whatever. And I think it speaks to a mythological fear of of contracts and lawyers. Um, (laughs) You know. I'm not, you know, it's, it's a bureaucratic other. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I so many so. representations of the devil or gods as bureaucratic, the sublime mm. of, of bureaucracy in modern interpretations. That happens in um, was it Good Omens, in, um, I don't know, there's plenty of other ones. But, but going back to, you know, uh, what I was saying about Faye earlier and how often... Um, the rules, you know, right? They they rules lawyer you into like ah, now you're my slave right. forever. Like it's, it's or they'll this take idea. advantage of the wording of a of a wish or request in mm-hmm. the way that genies do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in terms of Disney's Aladdin, which has sort of three key trickster tropes, three trickster archetypes within the larger archetype. Like three, of you have characters. Aladdin, who is a trickster thief, mm-hmm. a petty orphaned street rat guy mm-hmm. he's he he makes his own way he fends for himself he finds his own food and he transgresses societal norms by stealing mm-hmm. um then the genie the possessor of all power in the universe but who binds it to like three rules and says you can have three wishes but the wishes all have to go wrong so he is a trickster in that sense and he's a cartoony sort of you know jokester who plays pranks and whatnot right um and then jafar the evil advisor Mm -hmm. who is a trickster i think in his own right someone who through silver-tongued cunning convinces the person in power to do what they say by tricking them but 
I, I would argue against Jafar because he uses... Well, I guess tricksters can use mind control. Because that's, that's of course. kind of what Sylvie it's, does. It's one of, the, one of their favorite tools in the handbag is magical... <laughs> Uh, you know, magical convincing, right. but he, it's also done through like he's supposed to have a silver tongue. You know, he's. But we never uh, see him really use his silver tongue. He just talks and talks uh, and talks. Until... Le contraire, he dresses as a. He put goes in disguise. He's a shapeshifter. Okay. As a as a prison old man, <laughs> and he says, uh, "Remember the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rule." Here, take this and go steal some gold for me. All I want is a rusty lamp. And then he kicks him down a flight of stairs and says, Ha ha, tricked you. <laughs> yes. And then he's ultimately defeated by trickery as yes. well. So it's this 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 holy trinity of tricksterdom. You know, the, uh, the, the father, the son, and the holy genie. Um, <laughs> Jafar's know. the father. Aladdin's the son. Obviously, I mean, look at him. You know, in many ways, he's like a a, a paternal sort of villain, a, mm-hmm. a masculine threat to the ego. Mm-hmm. You know, in a in a very edible sense, he wants to sleep with the you know the mother of this orphan, who he wants to sleep with, um, and you know that's where the conflict exists. Uh huh. Right or. Um, to look at other Disney type fair, uh, the the sea witch. What's her name? Ursula. Uh, Ursula. Yes, definitely. She has contracts. A yep. She's buying up people's souls, collecting them. She seeks power. She's, She's a, a shapeshifter. She's a shapeshifter. Absolutely. She she shifts in order to trick men with sexuality. It's a very feminine trickster trait, mm-hmm. and she's played. It, or designed to look like a, a drag queen, so also embodying masculinity as well in her femininity. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, a lot of these things. And she's part animal, part human, right. you know, like, she's, like many she's tricksters. stuck almost in this state of transition. Right. And I think the, the animal thing, I, I almost think it's just a holdover from the original tricksters, which come from more, like, animalistic, tribal, and shamanic cultures. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the most common ones to look at, we mentioned Anansi the spider, mm-hmm. uh, which is, um, you know, an Akan sort of religious figure. And then we have uh, Coyote, you know, mm-hmm. in various Native American tribes. Yeah. I can't name them all right now, but, you know, trust me, it's a lot of them. Well, it's and also, um, like, Coyote has, like, different specifics based on the tribe that is telling of course but but we've grouped them anthropologically in that they refer to them as the species that it is the coyote and it it's sometimes more human-like and sometimes more animal-like almost always trying to fly or or trick a spirit into helping it fly and leave the ground and it's a representation of like humanity's uh you know hubris in some ways but also coyote is the creator of all of the universe who speaks the universe into existence uh unless i'm misremembering it um so again we have like the trickster god who creates everything but then still wants to fool around and like mess with people mm-hmm. <laughs> and who if you see it you have to like ward away the bad spirits you know because you've you've looked upon it and you know you know therefore you have to cleanse yourself of the coyote's bad luck influence right right um yeah there's there's like um i'm actually thinking now i didn't think about this earlier there is a pacific northwest um native american tale that i grew up reading called the raven um, yes, where, ravens very, very often tricksters. Yeah, you know, and in in this particular story that I read, you know, he um, he tri- he turns himself into some pine needles and then falls in some water and impregnates a lady that way. <laughs> yes, and then is born as a human uh, so that he can like steal the sun or something. I, I forget. Yeah. Because the sun is fire, right. and we have fire stealing fire mm-hmm. so often is the example of the elixir of life. Um, right. Well, and I think fire and trickster goes hand in hand because it's that, you know, fire's chaotic. It's hard to control. 
you know, it's, sure. it transforms. Sure. It can be small but and then the trickster big. is able to tame it or, or control it or steal it or whatever. Right. Even or, though it's a power boundless beyond our understanding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think those concepts tend to go hand in hand. Um, you know, if we're talking about animals also, there's a, a children's story about, um, a deer and some tigers called mouse deer and the tigers where basically the whole thing is just the tigers want to eat the deer and so the deer's got to trick all the tigers in various ways to stay alive. sure i mean it can be any animal but we see certain ones appear more often than sure. others ravens intelligent birds who do play tricks throw rocks at people mm-hmm. collect you know little glass baubles to get memories. people sure um, foxes you know, clever foxes, mm-hmm. they appear in, you know, Aesop's fables, as well as, you know, some African tribal tales. They make their way into slave narratives in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, Br'er Fox. And then going along with that Br'er Rabbit, um, the hare in almost every culture is seen as like this clever, you know, beating the odds sort of character. You know, the tortoise and the hare, mm-hmm. but also... And this trickles down to Bugs Bunny, you know? <laughs> right, <It's>... yes. <laughs> so, you know, I think a lot of our early, like, cartoon animation, a lot of that sort of derives from literary influence and from, you know, comic strips mm-hmm. and from a lot of things. But the characters ultimately evolve this sort of mythic quality, and I think they begin to, in some ways, like, channel or embody like these ancient stories of hares, you know, right. spooky, spooky, tricky hares that can outwit you and outrun you, right, right. Um, but who are sometimes trapped in their own traps. Right. Um, right. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's the thing that's interesting about um, tricksters as well. And I think this goes all the way up to gods is that they're fallible very much. So, you know, <laughs> like they, they make half the time they make as many mistakes as they like as many times as they succeed you know mm-hmm. um and i think that's true for bugs bunny i think that's you know satan true for satan it's true for loki right. um it's right. it's true for puck like like right. all of these people you know, it's it's too many machinations going at once, and they can't keep them straight. You know, it's right. very much that kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, just to, I guess, for, for Satan, you know, that he's always defeated, uh, except for, you know, when the apocalypse happens, and then he kind of wins, but then ultimately loses. Yeah. Um, but... You know, Satan is most interesting, I think, when he is tricking mortals into giving him their eternal soul somehow. <laughs> and that trickster, you know, vibe is, is you know, that goes back to Genesis where, right. you know, a lot of people argue that the snake is Satan mm-hmm. or, you know, something. As opposed to just a snake that can talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but serpents... In mythology, that's another sort of Jungian archetype, the serpent, the dragon. Mm. It's an enemy. It's also tricky. It's a trickstery kind of thing. Right. Dragons will often make bargains or argue for their life, if they're talking dragons, of course, like in The Hobbit. Uh, And then you may need a trickster to trick the dragon out of his gold or Mm. whatever boon you're trying to get. Yeah, I think think with animals, they're sort of like two subgroups of, of animal uh-huh. tricksters. Um, and I could be totally wrong with this, but this is what I'm <laughs> well, feeling. Well, let's hear it. Um, there are animals that are physically weak, you know, that are not predators, right. that are um, that rely on their wits right. and their trickery And we see them as survive. representations of ourselves. They outwit the predators, and we learn from them and how to protect ourselves from predators. Or they're the predators, the big bad wolf is a trickster. Mm-hmm. He dresses up as a woman in order to eat a little girl. Right. Um, you know, and we learn we learn to avoid him mm-hmm. uh, for that reason because he dresses like grandma. <laughs> and and uh, you know, then there are sort of I guess tricksters for simpler moral lessons like the Cat in the Hat, mm-hmm. who is an animal trickster, or for more comical stories like Puss in Boots, where I think the comedy is. 
pushing an agenda. It is questioning an authority. Mm-hmm. Um, Which comedy often does, you know, like that's... Comedy that's, often does. So a think. lot of tricksters appear just in spoken word jokes, mm-hmm. just like, you know, two popes walk into a bar or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, there are certain characters that appear in spoken word jokes that uh, can be part of like a mythology of a culture. For example, Herschel of Ostropol, mm-hmm. who, you know, gained acknowledgement in Eastern European Jewish communities uh, during a one of many particularly dark times in Jewish history. Um, and he was an idiot who spoke the truth. That was the, the joke, basically. Is mm-hmm. He would say something stupid and self-serving, but he would, through wordplay, trick somebody out of something that they wanted. So, like, the classic joke is he, uh, he says, I'll take two bagels, and they give him two bagels. And he says, actually... I want uh, two donuts. And he gives them back and he takes two donuts. He eats them and then he leaves. And then the guy says, you didn't pay for them. And he says, well, I paid for them with the bagels. And then they say, well, you didn't pay for those either. And he says, well, I didn't eat them. And then he leaves. <laughs> so it's a humorous joke on the idea of transaction mm-hmm. and wordplay and poor people. <laughs> And being Jewish and poor and hungry. Yeah. Um, right. I think but uh, many of, of my friends and well-wishers will know of my uh, my my love of the book Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins. The best Hanukkah book ever. It's the best. Yeah. Where he tricks a bunch of goblins <laughs> into this, letting him celebrate Hanukkah. It's, so It's great. It's representative of, you know, tricking anti-Semites into letting us be Jews. <laughs> right, but, you know, it's, again, it's it's going and saying, uh, you know, finding ways to trick an authority into giving you what you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and, oh boy, if the Jews could have had that. <laughs> right, and I think the same goes for the, the slave narratives in yeah. the United States, which you know, can be traced to so many different roots and origins to Native American tribes, to um, West African, like Ghana, Ghanaian stories mm-hmm. um, uh, about hares and rabbits. But, you know, all the Uncle Remus stories, which, you know, there was no Uncle Remus. He was made up by a white guy to sell these these slave folktales. Mm-hmm. But Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby, you know, that's like... A classic story about the traps that are laid out by predators, whatever, which I think have to represent, you know, oppressive white slavers capturing and stealing young children and and black people. Um, So I think it represents a questioning of power there that it doesn't in, for example representations where the trickster is the devil Mm -hmm. or where he's Q from Star Trek The Next Generation where he's an all-powerful being that you have to trick to prove that you're, you know, that you're more cleverer, but he controls everything and he loves riddles. Mm -hmm. He's like, riddle me this. I'm smarter than you. (laughs) Um, Which is the case of the Riddler in Batman as well. Um, I don't know. Where do we go next? <laughs> I'm not ready to wrap up. I just feel like we've talked about a lot of different things, and uh, yeah. I've, I've suddenly lost the plot. Um, you know, so we were we were talking about animals. That's right. Go back to animals. <laughs> Let's go back to animals. Um, so many of you may be familiar with the character Son Goku from uh, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. What you might not know is that his name, powers, uh, and appearance are all borrowed from. Uh, the Chinese version of the character Sun Wukong from Journey to the West, who is a clever monkey who masters the Tao and Buddhism and all of that while being like the little shit about it. <laughs> you know, like he's a representation of our childish sort of unwillingness to take the time to learn uh, to learn about the universe and to respect the powers that be. So. I think in a way he's a a trickster where he transcends, you know, the authority. He like practically gives a middle finger to the Buddha and says like I'm faster than you. I can escape your hand no problem. And then the Buddha's like, "Well, my hand's pretty big." 
it's so big that no matter how far you go, you'll still be in my hand. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, he sticks it to him, but then he's punished for it by being buried under a mountain for 500 years. But then he redeems himself by learning obedience through having this, you know, crown on his head that can be tightened by his, you know, his master, who's this, um, this monk who's traveling to the West mm-hmm. to learn about the true sattvas of, uh, or uh, the, the true stories of, of Buddhism from mm-hmm. actual Indian people. Um, anyway, the only thing I watched to learn about that was uh, the Osama Tezuka adaptation, um, which was released in the West as Alakazam the Great. Uh, but, you know, I just think it's interesting, like, Goku, he's got a staff that can grow, he, uh, he can transform, and he's got a monkey tail, and he can fly on a cloud, and those are all things that Sun Wukong does. And his name, Sun Wukong in Japanese, is Sun Goku, so mm-hmm. it's the same thing. <laughs> um, you had said something, the childishness, that's what I want to go back to. Sure. I, I like what you were saying about the... Um... And bringing up, like, the childishness of uh, Sun Wukong. Because I don't sure. think that's something we've, like, explicitly touched on yet. Is, like, you know, we've we've right. touched on how they're chaotic. That these tricksters are somewhat anti-authoritarian. They're sometimes hedonistic, right. egoistic. We've, we've touched on the fact that they're funny. Um, right. But I think the childishness is, like, the right. immaturity. But they're self-contradictory. Because their childishness and their authority... You know, but you can be in a childish authority. Like the, I don't think that's a contradiction. Sure. Well, I, I'm just saying they embody both in the same being a, right. a childishness, and they can also embody a a you know a paternalistic masculinity. Like don't you know don't get in trouble. You know, like tricking you into doing what they want you to do. Um, but I mean, that's kids love doing that. Kids love right. pulling tricks on their parents, and right. because again, I think. Being a child is a place that is lacking power, you know? Right. Um, and so the only way to gain power over your parents sometimes is to trick them, you know? Like, oh, yeah, right. Mom, I'm totally going to bed right now. I don't right. have my laptop hidden under, like, my pillow, and I'm going to immediately go And, you know, Campbell writes in, you know, in his writing about the monomyth that in the childhood of a lot of heroes, they will demonstrate unreasonable feats of strength, unreasonable feats of morality, and unreasonable feats of trickery uh, to demonstrate their destiny mm-hmm. of eventually claiming, you know, it's always foreshadowed that eventually they'll claim the the bounty of the immortal elixir. Mm-hmm. Um, in Maui's case, you know, when he's just a baby, he slows down the sun so that his mom will have time to finish cooking or something right. uh, before sundown. And, uh, you know, I think it was uh, Krishna is, like, presented with, like, the demonic breast of a poisoned, lactating woman, mm-hmm. and he sucks the evil out of her, uh, and, like, purifies her or something. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, dealing with trickery and, like, flipping the trick on them or something. I don't know. So so that's, that's common, you would say, in, in heroic trickster tales? Yeah, yeah. When they're eventually going to go on to be... You know, a great trickster warrior who, you know, saves humanity or whatever. Mm -hmm. Probably when they're a kid, they're a mischievous trickster who pulls harmless pranks for fun. Or accidentally does good while trying to, you know, steal cookies or something. Right. Um, Are there, I I think to sort of bring it to modernity now, Uh um, you know, throughout this conversation... And maybe it's just because I revisited this book recently. Um, but I'm thinking of, of Harold and George from Captain Underpants and how they fit into the <laughs> right. trickster Pranksters archetype. in general. Yeah. I mean, there's so many subtropes uh, right. that we, you know, we definitely wouldn't have time to to cover all of them. But, mm-hmm. you know, just, just to go through a few, um, you know... The artful dodger is like a you know a, a a wastrel I don't know like a like a what's the word like an orphan boy on the streets who like cons you out of your wallet but like yeah. is happy to be a homeless um, yeah the Barnum is you know named after P T Barnum a sort of carnival 
uh, trickster who tricks you out of your your money with like carnival games or taking you in to see a show that's really cheap and exploitative, um, you know stuff like that. Right. Um, the con man or grifter, mm-hmm. you know that's like a very common type of trickster. Uh, or you know the thief, the gentleman thief is love, a type love. of trickster. Love a gentleman. Thief. <laughs> you know Lupin or. Um, I don't know, the Ocean's Eleven, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Court jesters and fools are tricksters in a sense. They often bend this story to their will while also narrating how silly it all is. In Shakespearean tragedies, there's somehow always like a clown over there just going Mm -hmm. like, ha ha, silly. Yeah. We mentioned fairy tricksters and foxes. Um, We mentioned characters who, you know, sort of rules lawyer everything into like a... A game where you know they're always yeah. in control. Right, the chess master. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know, there's one listed on uh, TV tropes called the Great Gazoo, which I think is an interesting sort of take on that Fey logic that we talked about. Where this is someone who so little understands humanity that they end up granting a wish that they think is helpful while actually hurting someone. Right. Um, I mean, the one you know, my... think of Ella Enchanted yep. where the. <laughs> The fairy says, I give you the gift of obedience. And then it becomes a curse uh, that she can only do what other people say. Right. The unintended Um, consequences of, you know, those kinds of tricksters. Uh, And then another one is uh, the Wonka, (laughs) which speaks for itself, I think. Yep. (laughs) He's he's encouraging people to fall prey to their own vices. Uh, in order to teach them a lesson, while secretly always being in control, he pretends that he has no idea what's going on and why people keep getting into mischief in his factory. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. And then yeah. the tramp, pretty straightforward as well. The tramp is a character from Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin was a clown who pointed out inequities in his society through just tripping over himself like a fool or an idiot. Um, Whereas, you know, the Marx Brothers, they were less, like, haphazard, like, accidental tricksters where they were intentionally tricking people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I think, you know, we've we've covered a wide breadth of tricksters at this point. Do we have, like... Is there, you know, like if we were going to make a, a Venn diagram of like trickster traits where it's like, here, here's things that could be trickster and different characters overlap in different places. Do we have... Uh, well, I don't know if I have that, but I have okay. this quote. Um, so this is a quote from uh, a psychoanalyst named Donald Kalshed, who wrote a book about archetypes in a Jungian sense. And he writes... Uh, In mythology, archetypal representatives of the archaic self's ambivalent nature are always tricksters. The trickster is ideally suited to be an agent of transformation because he or she carries both sides of a split in the psyche. The trickster is evil and good, loving and hateful, male and female, and thus holds the opposites together while also keeping them differentiated. Shape-shifting at will, he slash she is the transformer who also gets transformed. So... It's a representation of change, whether that is a change that is transgressively, you know, uh, uh, undermining a system or just simply changing the self through growth and learning lessons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while the trickster is amoral, it is nevertheless the energy that forces morality upon us by providing alternatives, both inspirational and uncomfortable, so that we are fully cognizant of our choices. That was a quote from uh, Terry Waddle. Uh, who wrote a book called Wild Slash Lives, Trickster, Place, and Liminality on Screen. So, something to check out. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I I hope that for our listeners, this sort of served as, like, a a really nice primer to the trickster trope. We we opted for, uh, you know, breadth versus depth um, and digging into a particular kind of trickster, a particular trickster uh, character, um, there are tons of books and research done around this topic constantly. It's, it's as you we've said, you know, it's everywhere. Every culture's got a trickster. Every, um, 
You know, I bet you could go find any show. This is a, a fun activity for you guys at home. Uh, turn on your favorite <laughs> TV show and see if you can find a trickster character. <laughs> like, right. I, I bet you can, is, is my right. take. Even in silly sitcoms, you know, Jim Halpert is a prankster. Right. Uh, Jeff Winger is a grifter. <laughs> right. Um, you know, silly stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in anything supernatural, there's always going to be, like, a Beetlejuice or somebody to, to mess things up. or Right. Or, you know, if you're dealing with superheroes, there's going to be a shapeshifter who's going to do something tricky, I'll bet you. You know, mm-hmm. Mystique or, or something like that. Um, if you're watching something about a labyrinth or a maze or a lost woods that tricks you, uh, you know, a tunnels that keep shifting, there's some kind of trickery going on. Um, and if somebody keeps switching sides, uh, someone's disloyal to their, you know, their alliances, like in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you're, you can bet dollars to donuts that Tyrion Lannister is a trickster. So. Oh, I would say Littlefinger is more of the trickster. Also than, that. Than Tyrion, but... I have yeah. them both on this list. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, yeah, tweet at us what your favorite trickster is at Talking Tropes. Yes. And uh, we'll see you next week. Or will we not? Because it could be a trick. Trick or treat. Happy, Happy Halloween. Halloween.